And this is that uh, Christmas season, eyes begin to focus, hopefully on Jesus, hopefully on his coming into the world. So it's appropriate a week before Christmas, and oh, by the way, I'm really looking forward to next Sunday morning. We are just, we'll gather at 10. We're going to have a wonderful time in the Lord and just singing those great uh, uh, Christmas worship songs and uh, fellowshipping in the Lord. So looking forward to being, being with you a week from this morning. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's sitting at what we call the Last Supper, that, having that communion meal, and he's laying out some very important thoughts with his disciples because he knows that he's about to leave this world and that his, his mission is, is about to come to a, um, a uh, fulfillment and he's going to die for our sins and rise from the dead. So the disciples, however, are going to be left here and we are here. And he's saying some very important things to us so that we understand that while we're left in this world and it seems as though he's left, that we understand the nature of things and where God really is and who Jesus was and what he brought to us. And so he's having these discussions and he's talking about the Father. And he's saying, well, I'm going to go to the Father. And throughout the three and a half years of ministry, he keeps referring. Every time they ask him about his authority, he says, well, Father has given me the authority. And they ask him about his works. He says, well, the Father is doing these works through me. And he's saying things like, I don't do anything except I see the Father do them. And when the um, religious leaders are dogging him and going after him and wanting, uh, wanting to trap him and looking for an explanation, he keeps referring back to the Father as his authority. And he says, listen, the authority that I'm operating from didn't come from you guys. It came from Papa. It came from Dad. And they, it, they are roiled. I mean, they, they are agitated because he keeps referring to Almighty God as Dad. And that rubs something in their religious fur the wrong way. And I love that old saying, if the cat's fur is being rubbed the wrong way, then let the cat turn around. <laughs> and that'll take care of that problem. So Jesus, Jesus has been talking about the Father. And so one of the disciples, Philip's, he's, he's just had about all of this he can stand. And you can just see him. He, he, he just comes right out with it. He says, Lord, show us the Father. And it will be sufficient for us. Just show us. Well, what are you talking about? And Jesus says in John 14, verse 9, one of the most stunning statements in the Gospels. He looks at Philip and he says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Wow. What a statement. And the reason why it's so important is because they had spent now a couple of years with Jesus and they saw the love, they saw the mercy, they saw the power of God being used to break the tyranny of Satan off of their lives and bring relief. They saw his compassion. They saw him resisting the religious oppression that had bound so many people. And, um, but they still weren't sure who that eternal God is. They knew somehow he's Messiah and they had kind of a fuzzy, abstract 
ideal in their mind that the Messiah comes from the eternal God, but we're not sure how that all works out. And Jesus just, bam, he, he just hits it straight on. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen everything there is to see about the Father. If you want to know how he feels, if you want to know how he acts, if you want to know what his disposition is, if you want to know what motivates God, you've been with me. Hallelujah. I'm him. I am the Father. Come to you as the Son. And he makes this amazing statement. Now, let's fast forward just a few hours. A few hours after making this statement, he's praying. He's interceding. He's praying for the disciples in the garden. He's about to be arrested. And what Jesus prays to his Father, the words he shares, taken from John 17, and I'm just going to take from verse 21 down to verse 26. The words that he shares between he and the Father are the most profound revelation of the arrangement of God the Son and God the Father and us and our purpose. There's so much that is said that really a Christian could take this prayer from verse 21 to verse 26 in John 17 and get everything you need to know right out of the mouth of Jesus. Let's step into this prayer right in the middle of it as, as Jesus is interceding, about to go to the cross, finish his work, and return to glory. And listen to what he says. He's speaking to the Father and he says, that they will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory that you gave to me, I have given to them, so that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world will know that you sent me, and you have loved them just as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they can see my glory that you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, even if the world does not know you, I know you and these men know that you sent me. I have made known your name to them. And I will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I in them. Jesus is Papa, revealing himself. The invisible God steps from eternity into history and makes himself known. The angels proclaim he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. When we meet God, we find that at His core, He is a Father. That He is essentially not just the one who fashioned us, but He is the one who begat us. You know, we all can make things, form things. You all have worked with Play-Doh and, uh, you know, made different things, built things. Terry's a builder. He, you 
work with uh, tools and materials and things, but we were not assembled by God as much as we were begotten. We came forth from Him. That's why Jesus used the term with Nicodemus when explaining our relationship with God. He said, you must be born again because you are children. And when God first made Adam, He really came into being, not when God was rolling up the red clay and making parts, but when the Lord breathed the breath of life into Adam, and the Bible says Adam became animated and his soul was awakened. And so we are made in the image and likeness of God. But when man sinned, that glory that was in us went dark and it was lost. And so we were driven out of the presence of God because that which made us one with God, the glory He breathed into us, was forfeited. It was taken away. And so we couldn't come to Him. Darkness could not come into the perfect glory and the light of God. And so we begin to see God as the being, the great creator, um, and with all kinds of abstract ideas, Men feared God and feared their separation from God, and they felt that separation. Man lost the truth that God is Papa, that God is Daddy, because God wasn't our dad, wasn't our Papa, until he sent his son into the world. God came into the world as a son so that he could impart to us sonship, so that he could let us know that God is our Father. And that is the connection, the relationship that we have with Him. If you're a conceptual person like I am, I've got to kind of get a concept of a thing before I can really work with it. And uh, so I sort of see the omnipresent, which means God is everywhere all at the same time. How do you see the omnipresent God when our vision is very, quite limited? You can only see what's in front of you. And even then, you really focus and concentrate on one thing at a time. And those that are married realize that you could look at a thing a long time and still not figure it out. <laughs> and that's one of the complaints in marriage all the time. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know who I am and what I want and what I'm all about? And so even with our best vision, we have a difficult time understanding and seeing things. So how do you see God in His infinite how do you see him in a glimpse or in, in, in a vision and comprehend him and take him in? It's impossible. And so God quantifies and brings himself together, all that God is, and he enters the world as Jesus. And who is Jesus? He tells us, I am the Father's Son, and I am the Son of Man. I'm you, and as you, I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to bear your sins. I'm going to heal the breach between us. And he identifies with us. But the whole time, he's the father, working as the son. It is absolutely amazing. And if we were made in the image and likeness of God, then why can't God be made in our image and likeness? Since they are obviously compatible. So God comes and He's made in our image and likeness. So the Son's responsibility is to reveal not just God, because men had an abstract ideal of what God was, but to reveal and show and present Papa, Dad. Hallelujah. Jesus Himself used three words 
in that prayer that I read out of John 17, hours before he was crucified, that described his mission to reveal Dad to the world and to us. Those three words were love, glory, and oneness. He repeated those words throughout his prayer. In those three words are vested the concept of the Father and your relationship with Dad today. First of all, the first word is love. Let's talk about it. I'm going to say this even though most of us know it. When we hear the word love, we have a variety of ideas. Everything from erotic and sexual love to human affection and compassion. And we have, um, we have love on a variety of levels. You can love things. You can love people. You can love yourself. But the love of God that the Bible speaks of, that Jesus was speaking of, is a unique word that's assigned only to God. It refers only to God's love, and it's called agape. It's hard to describe because itself is the eternal limitlessness of that love. So we're talking about agape, the love of God. God came into the world as the Son so that you might know that He is your Father. I can't stress that enough. I'm really depending this morning on the Holy Spirit just opening your cranium and just dropping a revelation into your heart. I'm just believing that the Holy Spirit is going to preach what I can't preach. But I want to tell you in the most simple terms, God wants you to know Him as Papa. He wants you to know Him as Dad. If that makes you a little uneasy or uncomfortable, if it's difficult for you, and let me just continue and digress just a little bit further and say that for some people who may not have had a good Dad experience in this world, it's extra difficult. If you've had a great dad, if you had a great papa, that's not hard to embrace the idea of father as dad, as papa, and to use that kind of terminology. But some people have a very difficult time, and their experience with a dad was not a good one, and some there was not an, an experience at all. But God came and into the world as Jesus for the primary purpose of showing you that God wants you to know Him as Papa. To know Him as Papa is to know that He loves you and that He wants you to know Him as Dad and call Him Dad and think of Him as Dad. And because God is love, and that's what 1 John tells us in chapter 4, God is love. To know that God, uh, because God is love, we don't connect with Him through our spiritual or moral works but we connect with Him by believing and receiving His love. Follow me. If God is love, then if you go out and try to impress Him by being spiritual, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with being spiritual, or you go out and try to earn His acceptance by uh, being morally upright, and there's nothing wrong with being morally upright, there's nothing good about being morally sinful, and there's nothing good about being a-spiritual. But those things are not how you connect with God. Now, if God was the law, then being morally upright or spiritually superior would be the way that you would connect with Him. But God is not the law. God is agape. The only way that you can have an embrace or a connection with Him is through agape. You must believe and receive His love. 
And nobody says it better than John, who was leaning on him at the Last Supper. And John writes many years later in 1 John chapter 4 about this connection with agape and with the Father. Beginning in verse 16, listen very carefully to how John phrases these ideas. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So let me just pause for a moment before I go on and read the next part of this scripture. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. He says it perfectly. That is how you make the connection with God, is by allowing his love to fill you. Romans 5, 5, the Apostle Paul said, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I know that the night that I was born again and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life alone in my bedroom, prayed as an atheist. I began my prayer as an atheist and I ended it as a born-again child of the Father. What happened to change me in a matter of minutes from being a godless atheist to being delivered from demonic uh, oppression, changed, transformed, and being a child of God. What did that? It was love filling me. And I knew I felt the love. As his love came into me, I felt the embrace of daddy. I felt papa. And boy, you know what it did? The first thing it did is it made faith jump up in me, faith that was never there before. I was incapable of believing in God. And uh, there was no faith in me. The Bible says faith is produced by love. And that we're born again by a faith that is gifted to us by God. And so he brings it in when we believe that he loves us. That love came into our heart. So the Bible says he that abides in love abides in God. Not just any kind of love, but agape love. And so, let me just drill this point home. If, let this be the one thing you walk out the door with, if nothing else. God wants you to be able to say, Papa, Daddy, and have that connection with love, and know that He loves you. All the secrets of your life, and every success that the Lord's ordained for you, all the help you need is in that connection. Be connected with his love for you. Let's go on. He says, he that abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, by receiving Papa's love, by this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. You see, Jesus came into the world as a son because if he came as a teacher, if he came primarily as a standard bearer for righteousness, we would never get there. We'd never make it. We'd be constantly climbing that ladder of rules and sliding down and failing to reach it. But what did he come as? He came as the son. He can gift sonship to you. God can adopt. And God has adopted. He's adopted you. Hallelujah. And so by believing and receiving that love, you're brought into communion and brought into the Father's house. It's awesome, isn't it? Praise the Lord. So by believing and receiving His love, fear of judgment goes away because as He is, 
How is Jesus, by the way? First of all, he's doing great. And why is he doing great? Because, as he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and John chapter 10, verse 38. I and my Father, or verse 30. I and my Father are one. As he is, so are you in this world. What did he pray in John 17? Oh, that I may be in them. You are in me and that we will be one together. One together. Hallelujah. You know, when you lose sight of God's love, when you can't call him dad, when you don't relate with him as dad, when your prayer life begins to drift. See, true prayer is just love. It's loving him. It's not labor and work. If it's labor and work, then you're... you're your connection's just a little bit off. But if you want that solid connection, it's all about the love. And so, if, if you have been falling out of that love connection, that harmony with the Lord, then that, you know, that knowledge doesn't ch save you, does it? It doesn't change anything. There's that distance that begins to grow. If you want that power, glory to God, it's right there in the love. By this, love is perfected so that we might have confidence and not fear judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world, by receiving that love. And then he goes on to say, there is no fear in love. Now, if I was relating to God on the basis of the law, there'd be plenty to fear. I was driving last night. I was, some of you remember Frank Solano, and I was, I was, he and his band were playing up somewhere, and so I was up ministering with them and playing with them last night, and I had to drive through Saturday night traffic in Newport Ritchie. I had no idea. Because Saturday nights, I'm at home. I'm getting ready, you know, for Sunday morning. So I'm driving through that Saturday night traffic on US 19. And let me tell you something. You know, if you don't know that there's a devil, you learn real quick. You drive on US 19 up in Newport Rich, you find out there's devils and demons. They're all over. It's really rough. Um, so if I had to depend on the law, ooh, did I fail last night, man. Praise the Lord. I was breaking the law all the way there. Praise the Lord. Thank God the Lord had mercy on me. But the Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and whosoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so if there's that insecurity and fear, when you think about your relationship with God this morning, the problem isn't the little sins or the issues that you've got going on in your life, although those issues ought to be dealt with, but that's not the essential issue. The real problem is you're not letting Him love you, and you're not loving Him back. You know, the obedience and the sacrifice and the taking up your cross to follow Jesus is easy when you walk in love. When you let the Lord love you, you, you want to pick up your cross and follow Him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It makes all the difference in the world. Everything then that we do is an act of love. Let me go on to the next word, glory. Jesus used the word glory to describe His mission to reveal Papa to us. And in that prayer in John 17, he said this, and I'll, I want to requote this to you. The glory you gave me, I have given them, so that they might be one just as we are one. So there's a thing called glory 
that connected Jesus and the Father and made them one, a shared glory, and he says before he goes to the cross to rise from the dead, he says, I've given them that glory too. God has given you, if you've received Jesus, you've received the Father. And He has given you a thing called glory. That glory is what lets you know that you can call God Daddy, Papa. Hallelujah. And um, let, let me give you a, a simple definition of glory. And it may surprise you. When, when we use the word glory, people think of, oh, a light. And uh, we think of, um, you know, miracles and uh, just spiritual stuff and angels. Yeah, I mean, we just get these mystical ideas. But what happens is we, we fall short of comprehending what the word glory really refers to. Glory is that unique designed function and purpose that Father God has built into every created thing. When the eagle soars, we say, he's in his glory. When the great whales traverse the oceans, we say, they're in their glory. When an athlete, doing their best, performs, you know, they every four years have the Olympics, and we see these, these little dwarf girls flying through the air and spinning and everything, and Great athletes swimming through the water like porpoises. We say, oh, they're in their glory. They're doing their best. They're doing, and when, you, when they interview them afterwards, what do they say? Oh, I'm doing what I was created to do. There's an innate you know, sense within them. I was born to do this. I was created to do this. Glory is the radiance of the Father's designed purpose in you. And as I said before, Adam lost that. Our purpose was to love God, to receive His love, to radiate His love. That's why God put Adam in the world and said, rule and reign have dominion. God wasn't worried that He's going to go nuts and wreck everything and bring shame. God had projected Himself into Adam and Eve. And they walked in the glory of God. So he said, have at it, guys. Just rule and expand the garden over the face of the earth. You and I are one. See, that glory was Adam simply fellowshipping with God. You know, and let me say this. Every glory has an environment that God put it in. When God made the birds to fly, he made the sky so they could do their glory in the sky. You can't take a bird and plunge him underwater and have him glory. Very awkward to see that. And uh, uh, the great whale. You wouldn't take the great whale and lift it up, you know, about uh, uh, 30,000 feet in the sky and drop it out of a plane and say, okay, do your thing, man. And see that great whale doing its thing in the air. Why? Because it's out of its environment. So every glory has an environment that it functions in. The environment of the glory of man is the presence of God. What was unique about the garden wasn't the, the beautiful preparation. It was the Lord's presence every day coming down and being with Him. And what was the first thing when they sinned that they hid from? It jumped in the bush. 
And they said, shh, shh, don't say anything. And God came down and said, are you in the bush? What are you doing in there? Well, we're naked. Who, who told you you're naked? What's naked? See, all of a sudden, what were they aware of? They were aware that God was not, they didn't feel the papa. They didn't feel the daddy. It had gone from them. And so immediately they felt what? Shunned, separated. And that's, by the way, that is the essential history of 6,000 years of mankind. That explains why we behave the way we do. In the bush, shunning, right? Naked and ashamed. And ashamed people behave in shameful ways. And so God came back in the world to heal that connection and to give us glory back. Hallelujah. So let me say to you that if the glory is the radiance of God's design purpose in every created thing, that Jesus' glory is to reveal Papa to the world. The glory of Jesus was distilled into the statement that he made to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen Dad. Philip, show us Dad. We want to see. Show us Dad. Philip, look, if you see me, how have I treated you? How do you feel around me? I am the Father loving you. I've just come in sonship so that I could give you the ability to connect with me, to give you sonship, to give you adoption. Somebody say praise the Lord. In Hebrews uh, chapter 2, Paul, if Paul wrote Hebrews, uh, makes this tremendous statement. Listen to it. Verse 10 and 11 out of Hebrews 2 that talks about Jesus' mission to reveal Papa to the world. God for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, his brothers and sisters. When Jesus rises from the dead, he's standing outside the tomb, and Mary turns and she sees him. She falls down and she, she holds on to his feet. And he says, don't hold me, I've not yet ascended up. He said, but go to my brothers in Galilee and tell them that I ascend up to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So there it is, Jesus' mission. He makes the connection. The Father in heaven is now your Father, just as He's my Father. As I am, so are you in this world. That was His mission, is to give us access to Daddy, to Papa. Everybody say, Papa. Papa. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God chooses to come into the world as His own Son, not only to reveal that He is our Father, but to give us the same glory of sonship that He walked in so that we can call God Papa. Hallelujah. Knowing Papa is knowing that I'm not alone. When I think about Papa, I think I'm connected. I belong somewhere. 
If I'm in a foreign land and I'm by myself surrounded by strangers and facing threatening circumstances, I'm really not afraid. I may be, I may, my body, my emotions may feel a moment of fear and insecurity, but deep down in my soul, agape is constantly radiating this glory saying, you are not alone. You belong somewhere. When people come and bear down upon you with their <clears throat> rejection, with their accusations, when the devil's barking in your ear and shoving your faults and failures in your face and trying to instill in you a sense of disconnect with God, inside there's a glory that is speaking constantly, warmly, radiating. You belong. You are not separated. God is your dad. God is your father. God both knows, loves, and is caring for you right now. That ever-abiding glory is what Jesus meant when He said, I have given them the glory that I had from the beginning. The glory that you gave me, I have given to them. Every Christian has this glory called agape, radiating in. All I'm saying to you this morning is know that that is your treasure and relate with the Father through that glory. Let that glory live. Let that glory breathe. Add your words to that glory. Let your vocabulary be formed around that glory. Learn to speak of it. Learn to embrace the glory of His love because the more you do, the stronger and the greater God's work will be in your life. I love the phrase in Jesus' prayer in John 17, that the world may know. How do we witness effectively? By going out and trying to be relatable with the world? The world doesn't need people to be relatable with it. They're miserable. And on top of being miserable, they're deceived because they think they're doing well. There's nothing more dangerous than being dead and not knowing it because you haven't fallen over yet. They haven't thrown the dirt on you. Because you can breathe, because your body's working, because your mind kind of is working, because you have feelings, you think you're alive. But Adam and Eve died. In the day that you take of the fruit, dying you will die. And so the sinner, the unsaved, they're dead and they don't know it. They're totally deceived about their condition. So how do you reach the world with the salvation that God has sent into the world? By explaining it? By talking? And I think it's important to explain things. Talking. And you, you might say, well, miracles. We need to show them miracles. Let me tell you something. Thousands of people stood around and watched Jesus raise the dead and then ratted it and then couldn't run to the Pharisees fast enough to get him arrested. So don't tell me that if people see miracles, they'll get saved because that's nonsense. They saw miracles when Jesus did it right in front of them and they didn't get saved. It is the glory of his love that saves people. It is the revelation of Papa, of Daddy. If you want to talk to the world, talk to the Father and let love fill you. If you want to talk to the world so that they hear you, 
have a regular, ongoing, unbridled, and unbroken communion and conversation with Daddy, and Dad will talk through you. Papa will talk through you. You might have a funny accent. Who cares? You might have a limited vocabulary. So what? You may have never completed your education. Big deal. The, Lord is, uh, the world is not going to be saved by an accent, by clothing, by associating, by making connections, by being hip, by being compassionate. None of the human things that you do to relate with the world is going to save a single soul. Nobody gets saved, brought out of darkness, until they see the light of Papa's love. If you want to be effective in bringing people to Jesus, be effective in your own life of maintaining love with the Father. Walk in His love. Talk with Him. Let Him love you. And I guarantee you, whatever you do, He'll shine through you. He'll, shine, he'll just work through you. He'll shine with you. People will come up to you. People will get saved. All you did was just go walk through the mall. People say, there's something about you. What is it? It's Papa, my dad. What, you're here by yourself. What are you talking about? Where's dad? He's in here. People will hear you when, you, when Papa speaks through you. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Let me go on and um, let me finish by just taking a few moments and talking about that word oneness. We've, we've been talking all around it this morning. Jesus said, oh, that the world may know. I've made them one. I've given them your glory. I've given them your love. They've received that love. So now that the world may know that you, that you have sent me and that you are dad, Lord, make us one. How many of you know what we call the Lord's Prayer? You see your hands. We can quote it, right? Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now understand in the mind of the disciples, they had been raised in a Jewish environment where prayer was miserable hard work. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of, uh, lot of going through stuff, bloody business. You had to, you know, cut up a lot of animals, offer a lot of blood. All kinds of stuff, and then lacing that prayer into it. Just imagine your mind getting all mixed up in those concepts. So the disciples came to Jesus. They said, well, we, we haven't seen you slaughter a single sheep or anything, but uh, how, do you talk to, how do you talk to God? You're saying he's your father. How do you talk to him? And Jesus answered him. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Some people like to correct that and say, oh, that's the believer's prayer. But let me tell you what it really is. It's the Papa prayer. It's the Papa prayer. Because Jesus said, if you really want to pray, here's how you pray. Our Father. First words, not, I'm sorry. Or, I've been wrong. How true, however true that may be. What is the opening thought? What is the connecting idea? In true fellowship with God, Papa, Dad, you lift up your eyes. See, when, you, when, you're, when your prayer begins as, I'm wrong, it's, oh God, I'm wrong. I've blown it. I'm stupid. I'm sorry. But 
Papa, Daddy. That is the Papa prayer. And think about it. The life-circulating, heart-pumping pulse of Christianity is the Papa prayer. All Christianity thrives on the Papa prayer. It's how we are effective in ourselves and in the world. Basically, if I could put it in the language of this message this morning, it's saying, Dad, I know that heaven is my home. Our Father who art in heaven. Why are we saying that? Is it because the Lord wants us to make sure we've got our theology straight? God is in heaven. Check. The Lord checks the box. Okay, you're correct. God is in heaven. Move on to the next thing. Hallowed be your name. No. It's not checking a theological box that says, okay, I know that God is in heaven. It's saying, Dad, I know that heaven is our home. It's the Papa prayer because he's telling sons and daughters, when you pray, start, begin by saying, Dad, I'm at home with you. The Bible says in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're not saying, God, you are way up in heaven. We're saying, Lord, I'm with you. Heaven is my home. Heaven isn't where you're going to when, you're di when you die. Heaven's where you're at right now. Heaven's not where you're going. Heaven's where you're from. He that came down from heaven into this world took you with him when he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, as he is, so are you in this world. Heaven's where you're at, not where you're going. It's where you're coming from. And so we begin the Papa prayer by saying, Dad, I know heaven is our home. When I say our Father who is in heaven, I'm saying, Woo, hallelujah. That's my address. Thank you, Lord. And then he goes on and says, <clears throat> Hallowed be your name. God didn't put that in there because he forgets his name every once in a while. He needs us to remind him, Jesus, your name is Jesus. That name is great, really great. That's a great name. It's got a ring to it. It's mystical. It's like a golden mystical key. When you say, in the name of Jesus, things happen. It's like magic. In the name of Jesus. Oh, that parking space just opened up. 